Good morning. Nice to see Jenny up here. I uh, told her earlier that whenever she's here, I'm going to put her to work. So I think she, she did a nice job. So when I was a young child, I don't know the exact age, five, six, seven, maybe, my family and I went on a trip to uh, California to visit my uncle. And in the middle of that trip, we decided to go to SeaWorld. And if you've never been there, they've got lots of exhibits and lots of different shows. And uh, so we wanted to see the dolphin show. That was one of the things that we wanted to do while we were there. And um, the dolphin show was after lunch. So we got our lunch together. We went to the auditorium where the show was going to be. And we sat down and started eating our lunch um, a little bit early so that we could get good seats and, and be ready for the show after lunch. Um, and while we were eating, some of the trainers came up and they um, asked if I would be willing to be a volunteer in the show when they got started. They sort of planned this in advance. They saw us there, and I said, you know, sure, of course, or whatever a you know, six or seven-year-old kid says at that age. Um, yeah, uh, so, so absolutely. So you know, the, the show gets started, and we're sitting out in the crowd, and um, we're watching the, these trainers do these really cool things, you know, as we're observing them, you know, riding the dolphins around and getting the dolphins to do these really neat neat tricks with all the training that they've gotten, and it was just sitting in the audience, it was a very, very neat experience to see, um, to observe what was going on with these trainers as they interacted with these animals that they'd spend so much time training. Uh, but then at the appropriate time, the trainer said in his microphone, do I have any volunteers in the audience? At which point I was instructed to raise my hand, you know, I was sort of a plant in the audience, but um, so they came and they found me and they pulled me up front and all of a sudden I went from being a spectator in the show to being a participant in the show. Um, and so they brought me on stage and I'm standing there in front of the dolphins and they ask my name and I tell everybody what my name is and then he tells me to put my, my hands up above me and, and you know, so he's thinking, I'm thinking he's going to make me dive in the water and the dolphin's going to come get me and I'm nervous. So I'm just kidding, I'm not going to make you do that. Um, but he gives me some fish to feed, and so I'm, uh, I'm throwing these fish to the dolphins, and every, you know, I've got all these people watching me, I'm standing on stage, and then he has me uh, bend down and pet the dolphin, which was pretty cool, and he said, so what does it feel like? I said, rubber. He said, what? I said, rubber. And he said, did you hear that? He said, you feel like rubber. And so the dolphin starts splashing me, um, you know, everybody in the audience starts laughing and all of this stuff. Um, so it was a really, really neat experience to, to go from being a, uh, just a, an observer, a spectator, to being a participant in the actual show. Um, and I can tell on some of your faces, you're like, okay, I mean, that's a neat story, but what in the world does that have to do with church today? Um, so that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, we've been going through the series, Follow Me, right? Where I told you we're going to look at Jesus and the, his teachings and, and his ministry, what he did, so that we can learn what it was to be like him, because that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to be like Christ. And if we want to know, uh, if we want to be like Christ, we've got to know what Christ was like. So we've been doing this series, Follow Me, in the book of Luke. Um, and so far in the story, we've sort of just been observing Jesus. And his disciples have just been observing Jesus. So far, Jesus has chosen disciples, and, and he's picked out followers. But up until this point in the story, they've really just been observers. They've been spectators in terms of uh, what was going on. They've been watching Jesus as Jesus has been teaching, as he's been healing, as he's been ministering. Um, he's been doing all of, you know, all of the work. He's been involved in all of the action. And the disciples have just sort of been spectating. They've been observing um, from the distance. And then at some point in the story, where we're going to start today, there's a, there's a shift, there's a change. The disciples are going to go from being merely spectators to participants in the mission. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So we're starting a new mini-series as a part of this bigger series called Join Me. 
So we're moving from follow me to join me. We're going to see how the disciples of Jesus moved from being spectators to participants in what Jesus was doing. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, I'll put the text up here on the screen. Or even if you do, I'm still going to put it up on the screen. Um, But before we get there, you'll notice that we've skipped over a little bit. We were in the beginning of chapter 7 last week, and I've skipped the rest of chapter 7 and the rest of chapter 8 because I realized that if I were to go through every single verse, well, we'd probably be in the book of Luke for the next 10 years. Um, So I would encourage you, if you have time the next week, to go back and read Luke 7 and read Luke 8 and see if you can identify any of the principles that we've already been talking about. But we're going to jump forward a little bit to Luke chapter 9. So here's what Luke tells us. Just as a reminder, Luke tells us, you know, he was a physician in the first century world. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He tells us that he investigated carefully all the claims about Jesus and wrote them down so that we could have, we could be sure of the things that we've been taught. So that's what we have here in the, in the Gospel of Luke is the, the recordings of this historian who wants us to know that the things that we've been taught about Jesus are true. So here's how he begins chapter 9. He says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus gave them power and authority. What we're seeing here is is Jesus is now commissioning a new group of people to go go out on mission. Uh, All of a sudden, these, these disciples, these 12 who had been following him so closely for the past number of months, we don't know exactly how long it was at this point, but they've been following him for a number of months, and now he's, he's bringing them to a new level in their service. Instead of just being spectators, he's going to have them participate. But if they're going to participate, they need some power and authority to make it happen. So Jesus calls these 12 together, and he gives them power and authority, and he sends them out. And uh, the things that he tells them to do are to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And if you've been paying attention, you know that that's exactly what Jesus has been doing, right? Jesus has been going around. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God in the different towns that he's been going to. And he's been healing the sick. He's been ministering to people. So we see here that Jesus is bringing this group of people in who's been following him and observing him. And now he's sending them out to do the very same things that he's been doing. He's inviting them to join him in the mission that he's about. Uh, so to use some language that's popular today, especially you know, with NCAA tournaments coming up, these disciples went from the bench to the court, right? They'd been sitting on the bench, they'd been observing what was going on, and now it's time for them to get out on the court. It's time for them to get in the game and play a little bit. They go from the bench to the court. They're going to get involved in the mission. And then Jesus gives them some very specific instructions. Moving on, Luke tells us that Jesus told them, take nothing for the journey, No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Which right away sort you know sounds sort of you know foolish, right? If you're gonna go out on a journey, uh, it's it's pretty good to pack. If you're gonna go on vacation, you know, you you think through the things that you're gonna need and you pack extras, you wanna make sure you have at least one extra pair of clean underwear, you know, just to to change, make sure you're prepared. Uh, But Jesus says, No, 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 I don't want you to take anything with you. Apparently, you know, Jesus wasn't a Boy Scout, he wasn't prepared, right? Is that No, that's not what's going on. Um, So the reason that Jesus is giving his disciples these instructions, which are sort of counterintuitive, if you're going on a journey, on a trip, you want to take things with you, Jesus says not to because he wants to teach his disciples a lesson. He wants to teach his followers a lesson. He wants to teach them that as they work for God, God will provide for them. 
He's teaching them to, to step out in faith in perhaps a way that they hadn't done yet. He's taking them to the next step in their faith, to, to really trust that as they go work for the mission of God, that God will provide for them along the process. He wants them to experience what it really means to rely on God. Sometimes, you know, for us to grow in our faith, we need to step outside of our comfort zone. If we always do what's made us comfortable, then we're not really going to grow in our faith. So we need to put ourselves in situations sometimes where we're forced to trust uh, God, where we're forced to rely on God to provide. Because if not, sometimes we just rely on our, you know, we, we rest on our own laurels and our own preparation and all that. So Jesus, is, he's pushing them a little bit. He's, he's encouraging them to, to take that next step of faith, to trust God in a new, in a new endeavor. He gives them further instructions. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, this is what he's saying. Here's the translation. You're only responsible for delivering the message. Their response is not your responsibility. Their response is not your responsibility. You are entrusted with the message. You go speak. You be faithful to do what I've called you to do, what I've given you power and authority to do. If they don't receive you, then you let that roll off your back. You shake the dust off your feet. That's actually where that term comes from. Their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to be faithful to speak. That's what he's telling his disciples. So they set out and went from the village, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Right? So all of these things that they've been seeing Jesus do uh, up until this point in the story, Jesus has been going from village to village to village. He's been teaching people and healing them. Healing them. So now all of a sudden, the same thing that Jesus had been doing, his, these 12 disciples are now doing. And you've got to think how neat this must have been for them, right? How cool it, it would have been for them to... Um, they, they've been watching Jesus do this, and now all of a sudden they're doing the same things as their master. Which, as we've talked about all along, isn't that what it means to be a a Christian? Isn't that what it means to be a disciple? To become like your teacher? To become like your master? So for these disciples, this is what they've been training for, right? They've gone through training camp. They've spent time, you know, going through all the training and sitting in the classroom, the observation. Now it's time for them to, to step out, to get off the bench and to get on the court and, and you know, and, um, dribble around a little bit or whatever metaphor works for you. It's time for them to get out and, and um, put some some action to what they've learned. Uh, I, I just think how neat an experience this must have been to actually see, um, you know, all of a sudden they realize that, oh, it's not just Jesus. He, he's given us the same power. We can do the same things that Jesus was doing. I mean, try to put yourself in that situation. Imagine, you know, you've spent months watching this guy doing things and you say, wow, that is really cool. And then all of a sudden, now you are able to do the same things and you're seeing people's, li you're seeing, uh, people's lives change because of, of your actions and interaction. And so what we really see here, we see mission multiplication. Mission multiplication. For the, up until this point, there was only one person. There was, it was just Jesus. Jesus was the only one who was going around and teaching and healing people. Uh, he was really the only one who was working on the mission. Everybody else was sort of in, a, in an apprenticeship. They were just watching. And now all of a sudden we go from 1 to 13, right? From one person doing this to 13 people doing this. And so if you think about it, right, if I can make, you know, 15 burgers in one day, well, if I multiply that by 13, then how many more burgers can we make, right? If, if Jesus could reach, you know, 20 people in one day, well, if you multiply that by 13, now all of a sudden, the mission is spreading, mission multiplication, because more and more people are getting involved in what's going on. 
so some of you are thinking, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it, it's really neat that Jesus gave uh, the, the 12 that opportunity to do that. But, but Thomas, they were the 12. I mean, they were the special ones. These are the ones that, you know, led the church in the, in the first century. They were the 12 apostles, right? So there's, you know, what really application is that? We're not, we're not one of Jesus' apostles. Like, we're, we're not in that elite group of 12. Um, so that's sort of a neat story. But, but what does that have to do with us? Well, once again, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Take your Bible and flip to Luke chapter 10, one chapter over. Lest you think that this was just for those special, unique 12, Luke begins chapter 10 this way, and he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Talk about multiplication, right? From 1 to 13 to 72. 72 more. So if you... 1 plus 12 is 13 plus 72. So now we've got 85 people who are involved in this mission. And these aren't, we don't know these guys' names, right? We don't know the, we don't even know if uh, they were all men. We just know there were 72 others. There could have been women involved in this as well. Um, so we see that Jesus is bringing in more and more people. We know the names of the 12, but we don't know the names of, of the 72. So we see the, the mission is expanding once again. He started with Jesus, it expanded to the 12, and now it's expanded to the 72. And he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he used this analogy that they all would have been familiar with, farming, right? When it's, when it's harvest time, some of you may know this if you've done any farming or, or harvesting. When it's harvest time, you know, it's time to harvest and you need as many workers out there to bring in the harvest as possible, especially if it's going to rain and if there's weather coming or if it's going to rot. So for people in this agricultural culture, they would have been very familiar with, with this analogy. Jesus is saying the harvest is out there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, he's saying there are lots of people out there who need this life-changing message that I came to bring. There are people who need the deliverance and the transformation and the good news that I came to bring, and I need help to get it out there. The the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are a few, at which point these people would have said, well, what should we do? You know, what should we do? How, How can we help? So Jesus tells them. He says, ask, or another way that could be translated is pray, Pray the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You say, okay, I can do that, right? I can, I can pray that God is going to raise up men and women who will go out and work in the, in the fields of harvest, that, that he'll raise up men and women who will go out and share this message. That's, that's easy. I can, I can definitely pray for that. That's, that you know, that's easy. That, Jesus, no problem. I can, I can easily pray that God will raise up people who will go out and work in the fields, right? Uh, but if you think that you get off that easy... The next thing he says is go. You know, first it's ask, pray that God is going to do it. But don't just stop there. Pray that God's going to raise up people, but then go. You go. Jesus is telling the guys, you go out. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. In other words, to just pray isn't enough. We need to pray, but we also need to go. Each, as we're going to see later, Jesus' vision is that every member is a missionary. That every member is a missionary, that we're all called both to pray and to go. We're all called both to pray and to go. And so he gives them some instructions. They sound very similar to the instructions he gave the twelve. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Uh, When you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. 
Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So the, the instructions are very similar. There's some cultural stuff going on in, in some of these instructions. But the basic message is, go out. I'm giving you power and authority to teach and to heal. Trust God to take care of you along the way. Trust that God is going to bring people into your life at the right, at the right time uh, who's going to provide for you. And, and you don't worry about trying to take care of your own stuff. You just worry about proclaiming the message and healing people. And I'll make sure that there are people there to take care of you. So it's, it's really, again, that exercise in trust. This time for the 72, not just for the 12. And so here's the instructions. Heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. For, the, for a good Jew in the first century, they're waiting for the kingdom of God to be reestablished there on earth. They're, they're waiting for God to send his anointed Messiah, who we know is Jesus. And so these people are sent out to proclaim this, this, this new thing that you've been waiting for. It's happening now. It's happening now. Uh, he goes on his, in his instruction. He says, when you enter a town and are not welcomed... Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Then he says this, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament story of you know, what happened in Sodom when they rejected God's messengers, it didn't turn out very well for the town of Sodom. right? So Jesus is saying, you know, when you go into these towns, if they don't accept you, Dust it off, right? Shake it off. Let it roll off your back. Uh, it, it's not about you. He goes on to say here, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So uh, what I love about this is Jesus saying, listen, don't worry. You are not responsible for their response. You are only responsible to, to be faithful, to proclaim the message that I've given you. If you're faithful to do that, then you're doing everything I've asked of you. You're not responsible for their response. If they reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And if they're rejecting me, they're rejecting him who sent me, right? So it, and I love that, that Jesus said this because I think, you know, as I've talked with some of you and in my own life and my conversations with others, I think one of the things that keeps those of us who know that we should be sharing our faith with others from doing it is we're afraid of what people are going to how they're going to respond to us. We're afraid that if we, if we share our faith or if we bring up the name of Jesus or, or if we try to, to talk about this, then you know, we're sort of afraid that we're going to be rejected and, and that we're going to take that rejection personal. But Jesus is saying, don't worry. It's not about you. you know, if, if they reject you, don't worry about it because their rejection is really not of you. If, if, if you go out and you share your faith with, with one of your friends or your family members or your coworkers or someone out, you know, out on the street, if you share your faith and they reject you, they're not... They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you, and they're rejecting the one who sent him to begin with. So Jesus is saying, don't let fear of rejection stop you from proclaiming the message. Your, your self-worth is, is not at stake here. If they reject you, it, has, it says nothing about you and, and who you are, and it's really a rejection of something deeper. So in other words, don't be afraid. Don't let that fear of rejection be the thing that keeps you from sharing that life-changing message with somebody else. Because what if, what if they don't reject you? What if instead of rejecting, they accept it? And then, and then they get to experience that kind of life-changing joy that you've experienced because you've accepted Christ, right? Uh, now, I, I want to add a little caveat here. This isn't an excuse to be a jerk, okay? 
Um, the, the, Jesus, this is an excuse to go out and, you know, be a jerk in Jesus' name, right? To be a bully for Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? Or we, you know, we, you know, beat people with the Bible and then, you know, um, if they reject us, oh, well, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus. So that, uh, I know that there's nobody in this room who would do anything like that, but we have people who listen online. I just want to make sure everybody knows this is not an excuse to be a jerk, to beat people over the head with the Bible. When we go out and we share the good news, we do it like Jesus did, right, in a spirit of love and compassion and mercy and grace. Um, but when we do it, when we do it with that right spirit, when we're sharing, sharing the gospel in hopes that, you know, we're going to share compassion with somebody, then we don't need to be afraid. If our motive is to bring love and transformation and compassion to someone's life, then if they reject us, we don't need to take that personally because it's not about us. It's deeper than that. So Luke closes out the story this way. He says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I love that Luke included this. They returned with what? Joy. They came back with joy. I, lo I love this. It, it, and here's the thing about this. I've told you over and over again, and I really believe this is true, God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. I think that the reason, God did not have to, God could have figured out another way that he could have reached the world um, without using people like us, right? He could have figured out a different way. I think the reason that God chose to use us as ambassadors, as, as missionaries to the world, is because he wants us to experience that kind of joy. He wants us to experience the joy of participating in that mission, of the joy of seeing people's lives changed. They returned with joy because as they went out, as they healed people, as they proclaimed the message, they saw people's lives transformed. They saw people healed of all sorts of different things. And, and I think that is what's available for us too. The reason that we're invited to do this is because God wants us to experience what it means to be a part of that. If you've never been a part of, of seeing someone else come to Christ, somebody who was, who was far from God and, and they come to place their, their trust in Christ and their, and their life is transformed and they have this new sense of hope and this new sense of purpose and they have this new sense of community and love and forgiveness, the, the transformation to, to be a part of that in someone's life, there's, there's no greater joy save maybe, you know, raising your own child. I mean, to, to be a part, if you've never been a part of that, if you've never experienced that somebody that you've spoken the gospel to coming to faith and, and, and seeing that transformation, that healing, the, the joy is incredible. And, and God wants you to experience that joy. So the, this whole thing, it's not, you know, God wants us to get in the game, not just because, you know, he's an onerous master and he's, you know, trying to, you know, put us to work. He wants us to experience the joy of that work. He wants us to, to experience all that's in store with being a part of that process and being involved in that mission. They returned with joy because they were fulfilling what it was that they were created for to begin with. When, when we, when we, stop being spectators and move into being participants in the mission, we start to experience the purpose for which God has called us and for which God has created us. And we, and we experience a joy that, that can't be experienced in anything else. There, there's no other, I mean, just, just think about, you know, where you were before you placed your trust in Christ, and maybe some of you grew up that way, but at some point, you had a defining moment in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you had a defining moment where you decided that, that Jesus 
you know, was who he said he was, that, that what he came to offer, he really could offer, and you had that sense of peace and security that you never had before. Now imagine being a part of helping someone else find that. That's what we're invited to do uh, with this. When we move from being spectators to participants, it's so that we can experience this kind of joy, this kind of rewarding joy. Now it's a lot of work and sometimes it's scary, but it's, it's full of joy. Now, I have a theory, um, and my theory is that the reason that Luke included these two stories uh, is because he is giving us a preview of Pentecost. I think Luke included these two stories because he's giving us a preview of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, uh, we read about in the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, and that's why I think he included these stories. Uh, at Pentecost, is, that's after Jesus ascends and the Spirit is given, and we learn that every member is a missionary. We learn that the entire church is to go out. And so I think what Luke is doing here is he's showing, this, showing us this progression. Jesus has won, the, the apostles is twelve these 72, and then on the day of Pentecost, the entire church. The spirit and the authority comes to the entire church. Every single member of the church is given the same power and the same authority that Jesus gave these 12 and these 72. I think Luke is showing us this, this multiplication of ministry, how it starts with one and then it goes to the entire church. So this, I don't think this is, you know, this is something that's set only in the Gospels that doesn't carry forward. This is a preview of, of how every one of our lives, for every one of us who follows Jesus should look. I put this in my notes. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Okay, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We're not, we're not in the crowd just watching what God is doing. We don't just show up. Now, there's some Christians who, who have been spectators their entire lives. Spectators their entire lives. Where they, they attend church. They watch as the pastor gives the, the sermon. They, you know, they, um, they attend Bible studies. Maybe they've even memorized verses. They've, they've studied, 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 but they've been spectators their entire life. They've never actually gone out and got involved in the mission. But that was never the goal. That was never the goal. The goal has always been from the very beginning that every member is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. There are people in your life that God wants to work through you to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people that are, are in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, among your friends that God wants to use to reach out, to change their lives. Every member is called to be a missionary. This isn't, this isn't just a job for the professionals. I've told you that from time to time. Some people have this idea that it's, it's the pastor's job to do all the ministry. That it's the pastor's job to win everybody to Christ. Maybe you get them to church, but, but it's, really, it's the pastor's job to grow the church. It's the pastor's job to disciple everybody. But that was never, ever, ever the, uh, the intention. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the, the role of the professionals is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip, so my job really isn't to win everybody to Christ and disciple everybody. My job is to take those of you who are already here and equip you and train you to go out so that every one of us then goes out and wherever we go, whether it's the grocery store or a place of work or a family reunion or a walk in the park or wherever it is that, that we're missionaries, that we're ambassadors. And we carry the authority and the power of Christ. Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors carry the power and the authority of the one who sent them. Paul's given us uh, uh, this instruction, and Jesus has given us this power and authority to be his ambassadors, to carry out uh, his mission on earth. He's no longer here, and the reason behind that is because now we each, uh, those of us who are Christians, have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, right? Isn't that what Scripture teaches? We have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us so that we can do what Jesus did while he was here. We are now to carry out 
his mission. Every member is a missionary. So here's the bottom line. Pray and go. Get in the game. If you've been sitting on the bench, it's time to get up. Now, if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, um, then you know, you, this is sort of a preview. This, is, this will help you decide if you want to become a Christian, right? Because if you decide to place your trust in Jesus, it's not just to be, be a spectator. If you decide to place your trust in Jesus, eventually, you know, after some training and some equipping, then you're going to need to get off the bench and get in the game. Uh, I don't think we often, we don't talk about that too often in altar calls, that this, you know, this is a change of life that's going to change the rest of your life. And for those of us who are Christians, you know, it's time for us to, to we pray, we pray that God is going to raise up people who will go out, that he'll continue to raise up ministers and missionaries and, and all of that who can equip the church, pray that God will send people, but then go. Every one of us is, is called to go. Not to fulfill some checklist, not out of you know, some sense of like, obligation, uh, at least not always, but, but for the joy that that kind of mission can bring. Because as you go out, as you do that, as you see people come to Christ, as you see people come to faith in Christ and, and see their lives transformed from whatever prison they may be living in, you know, prisons of addiction, prisons of, of, of self-doubt, prisons of self-importance, any of these things, as you see them break free from whatever prison is holding them as they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be filled with joy. God doesn't just want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you to experience the joy of serving with him in the mission that he began. So pray and go. Get off the bench and get in the game. Let me pray. Lord, once again, we're just so thankful for the fact that you have recorded this for us in Scripture, that you inspired Luke to write all these things down. Father, as we watch this transformation from the disciples being just spectators to being participants, we know that you are calling us to the same. Father, for those of us who have been spectators for too long, inspire us to, to get in the game. Inspire us to get off the bench, to, to get to work. Father, we pray that you'll continue to raise up men and women, uh, missionaries and ministers, professionals who can continue to equip the body. But Father, we pray that you would inspire each and every one of us, that you would remind us that every member is a missionary, that you have given each and every one of us the word and the ministry of reconciliation, that you have given us power and authority. Father, give us your eyes. Help us to see the people in our life that you would have us to reach out to with love and compassion and grace and mercy. Father, help us to overcome whatever fear or reservation we may have about this. Help us to remember that it's not about us, that if we're rejected, it's not really us that's being rejected, but it's you. So, Father, let that give us courage. Father, make us discontent with the status quo. Make us discontent with not speaking. Make us more uncomfortable being silent than we are uncomfortable speaking. Just, just set our hearts on fire for your truth and your mission. Help us to be people who are consumed with us. Help us to remember that what we do here and now will, will leave a legacy. And we want a legacy of bringing people through your gates arm in arm. We don't want to just go, we don't want to just look back and have been spectators our entire life, God. And so whatever, whatever it is that holds us back, whether it's, whether it's fear, whether it's uh, laziness, whatever it is, God, just, just 
prick our hearts and inspire us to take that next step of faith, inspire us to trust you, even if it seems scary, even if it seems uncomfortable, knowing that at the end of the day, you're doing this so that we can experience the joy that you have stored up for us. Father, I pray for these people. Give them strength and courage and wisdom as they go out. Inspire them and equip them to be able ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.